We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Monday, April 17th. And you know what we do on Mondays? We bring in James McCool because it's Mondays with McCool, the alliteration. It works. He's the co author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com, the, the purveyor of also the, the custom Excel tools. In the advanced course that uh, that I do use on a daily basis for my my DFS lineups, so go pick them up today. Theoryofdfs.com. Submit your questions for the show. Remember, the the topics on this show are covered by by your questions. So you submit them and I answer them. So email them in questions at theoryofdfs.com and uh, participate in the YouTube chat if you hear live. Wataz is here. Suki Singh. Real life pitcher, defect, Bart B, 
the early birds, the early birds are here. And James uh, also, uh, I'll say to you live, live on the air, uh, if anyone has any technical issues with the uh, the Excel tools in the Theory of DFS course, just email email James, james at theoryofdfs.com, and he will get to them. And uh, make sure to check your your, your spam filter or some or something like that, James. Because sometimes I, I get I get uh, emails that are like they're like oh I'm having a problem with the Excel thing. It's to some 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 tech something that maybe I could troubleshoot, but it would be much better if you troubleshoot and uh, they, they send them over to you. So uh, some sometimes they say that you don't get them, but I, I assume that's a spam filter thing. It is both a spam filter thing and a backed up thing. I'll okay. Take. It's but you, but you do, but you do answer everything. And most of the time, and I will reiterate this, uh, if it is an issue where we have already explained the thing that you're having an issue with, or if it's a tech or if it's a, a user error thing, there's only so much that I can say. Like there, there's only so many times that I can say you have to paste the columns into the correct call it. correct that's right right a lot of times it's just simply user error like i i don't know i i have gotten uh more than a handful of emails saying well roto grinders added a column on and now when you copy and paste over it doesn't work to which i have said more than a handful of times just copy and paste the columns individually which right. goes back to your rant of last week of like guys critical thinking here like just right you said you don't want me to go on that rant again no, and I don't, and I I don't even want to bring up the last ten minutes of the last video, but like, <laughs> there there is a certain level of just like that th there there are certain things the tools that cannot be done. Like uh, I know that there is an issue with some of the name recognition in the historical tool, right? Like I know that that's an issue. That one's a harder thing to solve in Excel, um, and I know that there are like certain issues that pop up with like the soccer optimizer. Like I, I know that there are certain issues with that, but a lot of the issues that come up are either uh, I'm on a Mac or the columns don't match up correctly. And then a couple, I've gotten a couple cool emails that are like, Hey, could you add this feature in? And I, I have added those features in and those have been cool. But um, most of the time it, it ends up being user error. And uh, I think that and it's the, really the Mac issue, by the way, I have a Mac and I, and I use the tools Typically, it's because that without like some adjusting a security setting, it won't there, like there is, there is macros. Setting, there is one setting that is you have to enable automation macros right. on your MacBook. That's that is it. That is the only setting you have to change. So, uh, for the people who have emailed me and and asked for things like that, if it if it's a really basic user error, like you kind of go to the bot, you go to the back burner of the ones that I'm like working on. Uh, so just know that. That if that's the thing, then that's probably why. Right, and, and most of the time, most of the time, the, the the error in the tools is simply the data that you've put into the projections of the lineups are just not in the right columns. Because I'm and that and hey, dude, that happens. It does. I mean, dude, that yep. happens to me. I, sometimes I, I I paste them in the wrong way, and I go, "What the hell's wrong?" Oh, oh whoops, yep. whoops! I scrolled over one column too much, and I yep, right. I've I or I've I've an empty lineup because I I skipped the column. I have an empty column, or I accidentally cut and paste the the ceiling projection into the ownership column, or something like that. And it's like, oh, that's why everyone's owned at like seven thousand <laughs> percent, right? 
the tools do work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I use them. Jordan uses them. I know other pros use them. Like, that they work. You just, you know, you have to have a slight understanding of using Excel in order to make them work. Like, I made them as as turnkey as I possibly can, but you do still have to enter data into them. Right, right. I've, sh- I've showed on the show before. I mean, I've just, like, it's as simple as cutting and pasting and pressing a button. Yeah. And pressing a, bu- a couple of buttons, I guess. Yeah. Right, that are on your screen right? already in the Excel document. Okay. Uh, today, I want to talk about uh, Nelson Adcock's tweet. Yeah. Okay. He tweeted uh, yesterday or the day before, the, the 15th on Saturday. Okay. There's going to be a lot of caveats to this question because even he said in a later thing that he may not have clarified exactly what he meant. Uh if one of the best DFS players submits 150 lineups into a large field GPP contest, so we're talking about these featured size, 30,000 entries, whatever. Uh, when the contest locks and assuming ownership for all players was known, basically what that means is that when the contest locks, we know all the owners, like they can't change anything, but we do. It's not like one of these, like, well, in baseball, like we don't have the nine o'clock games ownership in because it's not revealed yet. Right. Assuming that nothing changes and we know all the ownership, how many of the lineups have a positive expected ROI? Okay. Which is different than a positive expected value. Right. We're talking about a positive expected ROI. So this player, right, one of the best DFS players, submits 150 lineups into a contest of 50,000 entries. How many of the individual lineups at the end? have a positive expected ROI, assuming that you simulated, you know, if we replayed the slate, the thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand times, the the largest proportion of responses to his poll was greater than or equal to 33%. I chose greater than or equal to 67%. James, what would you choose? I chose greater than or equal to sixty-seven percent as well. Okay, so let, let's let's discuss this before before uh, revealing the, the the actual results because yeah. I think the question, in and of itself, even without the answer, is interesting to determine how how we think in terms of EV in general when it comes to a portfolio of lineups, right, and not just individual lineups. Because let me let me give the the caveat of when me and James talk about expect the expected value of a lineup, which is nearly impossible to calculate exactly, right? You need to know, you would need to actually know every other lineup in the contest beforehand right? in order to calculate that, right? You could go like ownership in and of itself is blunt because it doesn't give you the exact lineups, right? This guy's 50% on, this guy's 50% on. Well, well, on average... They'll be in. They'll show up in twenty five percent of lineups together on average. Yeah. But like, once you factor in correlation, it's like you have two batters on the same team that are going to be fifty percent owned. It's quite possible that forty five percent of that fifty percent of them together and five percent of each are one offs. But like, until you see the actual lineups that you're competing against, you wouldn't know that, right? And you wouldn't know that sometimes that if it's a pitcher or something that maybe. Some people are playing one and some people are playing the other and there's not much overlap. So until you know the actual lineups, 
to actually calculate that the expected value is 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 nearly impossible. I mean, you could bluntly guesstimate it. Uh, but when we talk, when the more important part is that when we talk about the expected value of a lineup, we're talking about it in a vacuum. We're talking about it as an individual lineup against a field of lineups. So, for instance, if you're playing a thousand man single entry GPP, whatever, and we go, is this lineup plus EV? Well, this it would be this lineup versus 909, the 90, 999 other lineups that we can expect there to exist in this contest. If you now let's say, for instance, in that thousand person con thousand, let's say it's a three max contest. So it's like, what's the EV of if you're entering three lineups? What's the EV of lineup one? What's the EV of lineup two? What's the EV of lineup three? Well, when we talk about EV, we're talking about lineup one versus the the field of lineups that you're playing against. And then lineup two individually against the number of lineups that you're competing against. Lineup three individually. We're not considering the EVB, the how lineup one EV gets realized versus how lineup three EV gets realized. So let's give it, give an example here, right? Nelson obviously does a lot of golf stuff. So golf is it's much more coral. The lineups are much more correlative to each other than in other sports. But let's just say in, I think MMA is a perfect example because sure. it's totally binary. I mean, it's the highest amount of correlation between lineups that if you're submitting two lines, let's make it two lineups. And you're, you're let's say you submit lineup one is fighters one through six. And then lineup two is fighters seven through 12. And they're the direct opponents of one to six, right? Okay, so you're basically playing a bunch of fighters in one lineup, and they're, they are all of the opponents in the other lineup. Now, it's possible that each individual lineup against the field of lineups are plus EV. But if you simulate, if you put them both in the contest together, one can't possibly be realized in ROI while the other right. one does also. Right. Right? It's, 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 it's impossible. I mean, like... It's it's literally impossible because you're playing the any if you get five if you get six wins in one lineup you have six losses in the other lineup if you get five wins in one lineup you get five losses in the other lineup if you get three wins each probably you're not even cashing either lineup right in that case in MMA so like individually if you were to just play that lineup against the field of lineups and then ran it out a hundred thousand times you would show in uh, a, 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 a ROI of X percent, and it could be positive. And if you ran the other one individually against the field of lineups, that could also show a positive return. Now, when you play them together, you can't realize that ROI of each lineup together, right? So by playing both of those two lineups, your portfolio's expected value will go down. The variance of that portfolio also goes down because... When one lineup loses, the other lineup could win, right? So I think that I think determining what we're talking about when it comes to expected value versus like positive expected ROI, that once you start adding lineups to your portfolio, like your over your your goal is to have an overall portfolio that is plus EV, mm -hmm. even though 
and have individual lineups. All 150 individual lineups are plus EV on their own, not considering the other 149 in your in your set against the field. It's just that to realize the EV, all 150 can't, unless obviously you're playing a completely non-diverse portfolio, which is what I br- brought up with Nelson. I said this, this. I assume this depends on portfolio diversification because in more diverse sets, the EV of one lineup in the set could be quite negatively correlated to the EV of another lineup in the set. So if you were playing more like Ricky D, right, slams the Yankee stacks ninety four percent of lineups and whatever, it's like all all those lineups could be plus EV. But when he realizes he, his EV, he realizes his entire almost his entire portfolio at once. Right. While a more diverse player in in, uh, in their portfolio, the individual EV of the lineups are similar, but they have 20% of this team, 20% of that team, 10% of... When this team is the highest scoring stack, these lineups do bad. If you're playing a pitcher against a stack that you already have in your set, it's like, well, overall, your portfolio could actually be higher ROI than like, like a condensed portfolio. Like the whole goal of this conversation is not to determine like, well, should you play a condensed portfolio or not play a condensed portfolio? It's to understand what we're talking about when it comes to positive expected EV, right? Value versus positive expected ROI when you're submitting more than one lineup. And uh, that's why Nelson is asking in golf. I mean, he, he this is for golf. I put 67 over 67%. You put over 67%. What what's your reasoning behind if they're the be- if they're the best DFS player, they're submitting 150 lineups. I should expect or you should expect a hundred of those lineups to be plus EV or plus to have a positive expected ROI. Yeah. Um so I said more than 67%. I I was wavering between 50% and 67%, mostly because of the diversification portfolio. Um, I, I think that once you consider that the best players, most of the best players are playing through a full portfolio and, and running an MME set, um, I think you also have to have an understanding of how MME, MME sets are built up and how those portfolios are usually diversified. Um, and when you think about the way that you should build out a portfolio, a lot of people are not playing the Ricky D style. A lot of people are not playing the Condia style, right? Where... It, it comes into, well, I basically have one thing that I'm rooting for and I just built it a bunch of different ways. So let's hope that I realize the entire ROI of my EV here. Um, I think most pros are usually looking at it in a way of, okay, well, I have this subset of lineups that is required is requiring this to do well. So then I have this subset of lineups that goes against that. And then I have this subset of lineups that looks at a different scenario. And then you have two different ways of that. At least that's the way that when I build out a portfolio, that's the way that I do it. So I, I think that I said six, seven percent because I, I had to assume that there was going to be some 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 subset of lineups where, yeah, tonight uh, maybe a pro has 65 percent to Grom, but then there's 35 percent of lineups that do not have to Grom. And then there's five percent of lineups that stack against to Grom, like those five percent of lineups stacking against to Grom. Um, while they might be plus EV, I have to assume there are going to be some that are negative EV because they are covering different scenarios that happen on a very small percentage of the time. So I, I kind of made an assumption that there were some there was some hedging going on there. Um, 
I didn't think that it would be possible for it to be 90 plus percent because of that, that piece of things. But um, it's a really interesting question. And and most people saying only 33% plus, that's pretty surprising to me. Well, I mean, I mean, just from, just from a, a opponent strength standpoint, mm-hmm. right? Like if you just think of this, this, this problem just outside of the lineups that are even being built, because what what's what's a common topic on this show? Like where uh, does the money come from? Yeah, how much dead money is there in the contract? Right, how much dead money is is in there? Okay, so I think of it more in terms of how much how what percent of the field is playing negative EV lineups? Is negative ROI lineups? Now some are playing heavily negative ROI lineups. Some are playing moderately negative ROI lineups, and some people are playing breaky close, a little under break even. So there's a difference between those, but that's like well, that's where the money comes from. Mm-hmm. So if I determine that 30% of the field are playing lineups that are at least re- uh, my negative the rake, right? If I if I I mean 30% would be a lot for the full negative of the rake, but they're going to be like I would say 5% of lineups could be losing three times the rake, right? And I think five, I think another 10% of lineups are losing double the rake. And then another 10% of lineups are losing like half of the rake. Mm-hmm. And then another 5% or whatever, are like barely break Eve, like just underneath. So how much equity is that in total? That if you're one of the best DFS players, I'm not saying a good DFS player. I'm talking about the best, right? Right. I'm not, I'm not talking about even about me. I'm just talking about the best, one of the best. I would have to think that, one of the best DFS players will be not will not be building any of those lineups. Like their lowest, their lowest EV lineup. Once you consider that thirty percent of the field is losing to the is losing the rake or twice the rake or three times the rake, <coughs> that there were that hunt the hunt the the best player's one hundred and fiftieth best lineup is like break even. Right to the to the rake and to all the equity that's being seeded by everyone else. So, like from a positive expected ROI standpoint, I would assume that two thir- that two thirds of at least two thirds of their lineup should be should be pos- pot plus EV at least, mm-hmm. right? Because they're just not building those lineups. It now the more and more that the the less the, the less and less dead lineups there are. Right, that's why I said like he he's simulating PGA DFS. So I don't know. I'm I'm not as familiar with how much dead money there is. Well, there there's a caveat that I'll talk about when you're done at this point. But right, continue on with that. Right, but I mean, like to me, the NFL Millie, mm-hmm. a lot of dead money. But if you're calculating that, like obviously this is a, the, we're talking about a 150 set. Like I would expect that. Like I've seen. I mean, I've downloaded early baseball CSVs. And I 25 to 30% of lineups. I mean, I mean, I'm seeing lineups that like just mess messes, no stacks, low projection, like that. Just, just like to me, those, that's where the money comes from. So being the fact that one of the best, if not the best DFS player is never building those lineups that come close to that. I can't see how, how they can't have more than two thirds of their lineups be plus EV. Right. Like it's like, like if not, if not more, than that but in a contest in nba sometimes late like 
late NBA. I'm not talking about late NBA from a late swap perspective and everything like that. It's just that less casuals are playing and there's less like you go into some of these large field contests and the, the number or we could even talk about the slant in, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like the slant in the NFL has gotten to the point where 60% of the lineups are being submitted by 150 maxes. Right. Right. And there's just not enough dead, like maybe 10% of the field is losing at least half the rake. And there may only be 2% that are losing like three times the rake and only 2%, 3% that are losing two times the rake. Like there's not that much equity there in like, lineups that none of the 150 maxers are ever going to make well the rake is 15 percent. so like if the dead money only covers like seven to ten percent of that there's still another five percent that even amongst the 150 maxers you're going to be losing you're going to be losing money to so like in those contests i could see that even the best dfs player may only have half their lineups b plus ev Right. Once you once you factor in ownership, once you you know simulate everything, so I think I view this question more from from the from from the aspect of well, where where are the bad lineups, not where where are the good lineups, mm-hmm. and like if you're in a contest where everyone like if this was a contest where everyone was 150 max player, th- then then obviously I could then greater than 33 percent would be too high, right? Mm-hmm. Like all things being equal it would be nearly impossible to have more than 15 or 20%. Like even the best player versus the worst 150 max are then they're all good players. The rake is 15%. So like, like how, how much of an edge do you have that you could get more than like 20% of your lineups to be plus EV? I mean, this is the way that at least I'm thinking about the problem. And Daniel Hutchings, nerdy tenor in chat says, my understanding of Nelson's question is he wants to know how many of the 150 make money on average once you reveal all the lineups in the contest and sim the golf results many, many times. Yes, that's that 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 is what I'm that is what I'm talking. That I mean, I believe that's that's what I'm considering. But of course, you also have to consider are we talking about the lineups individually or are you making money as as a whole? Because the way that you realize the EV, the 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 ROI, right? I'm assuming he's asking about the lineups, not the people. Like how many, it's not, does this, how, how often does the player have a positive expected ROI in his portfolio? No, yeah, I think he's, it's more he's the fact for that- sure asking about the lineups themselves. Um, right. And, and he bears that out later on when he gets to like the actual results that he talks through. Um, the, the main caveat that I do want to bring up here is that it is like, in order to measure this, you do have to have a subjective measurement tool. And his projections, while they are very good, I do also think comes into play here. Um, any projection set that you use, especially when we're talking about a sport without correlation between the players, um, it is going to have like some level of variance, which is, again, another reason why I don't think that 90 plus percent probably could have been right here. Um that well, said, Hutchins said James ninety percent could be right in the in the given in depending on the con. Like right. I'm viewing it from a perspective of like if you were to play PGA, he's doing PGA, but whatever. Yeah. Let's say you're playing a thirty thousand entry field. Let's yeah. use the exact. Let's use my typical exaggerated example. Thirty thousand entries, not twenty eight thousand uh, eight hundred and fifty entries are all playing like dead people. Like just dead people yeah. that, you know, people that don't, you know, Ty Cobb and, uh, 
and Sandy Koufax. I don't even know if Sandy Koufax is dead, but whatever. You know, they're playing injured people, people that are yeah. minor league rosters, people that died 70 years ago. They all have zeros. And you play 150 lineups that have live players in it. Like, you're, you're, how many of your lineups are positive expected ROI? It would be 100%. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, sure, but like. It would, no, like, actually, it would be 85. It would be about like 80, 85% because you're losing money slightly to the rake. Right. So 90% here because of the rake. Because of the fact that inherently when you build out lineups, like you're going to have some lineups that go completely against another lineup in an ME portfolio most of the time. Again, we're like, even if we go into the extreme examples, we're talking about like this 80 to 90% range. Really, we're not talking about the 90% plus range. Right. Um, I just don't think that like you, you, you have to give something up. Unless you're, unless you have a train of a hundred, 150 of the same lineup, in which case you're not giving anything up. But I do think that, that it's very hard to say that it would be 90 plus percent. Um, that the other part of that obviously is the contest size and the field that you're playing against. I mean, if we're talking the super large field contest, uh, where there's just like, let's talk the Millie maker or something, right? Like 500,000 people, a $20 entry where you just have the worst lineups. I mean, like people are putting in, putting in just lineups that have. Right. It's very hard to overestimate the number and general suckiness of the very worst lineups in the largest contest. Right. Yeah. Is it overestimate or underestimate? I mean, Uh, I, no, he he means underestimate. It, it's hard to underestimate. I think, right. I mean, the, the the very worst lineups in the large contest are are really bad. Yeah, and and we're talking lineups that actually have players in them that could like right. actually play. I mean, even those lineups are really really bad. But when when you are when you look at this, and I think that it's important to to note the delineation between PGA and NFL and MLB and stuff like that. If you were to do this with MLB, I think you might be able to hit like that ninety percent threshold. If you were to do this with NFL, you might be, we're considering rake here. So not really like you're stuck at like 85, but you'd be on that higher end. If you're doing something like PGA, I think it probably comes a little bit lower. I think it, I think it may be one of the lowest only because. I agree. I I would agree. In in PGA, it's very, at least for, I mean, unless stuff has changed dramatically where there's the pricing inefficiencies are awful. Like now, DraftKings prices, I mean, the prices is odds based. Like, it's very hard for you to build. If you would have just, I mean, dude, I did it for the Masters. I literally mm-hmm. built one lineup, even barely knowing anything. I, I know these players from four years ago. If you, if you, if you spend, if you spend all 50K and you line up in PGA, it's very hard for you to have that dramatically right. worse of a lineup. Than someone else, like because like the the most you can eke out of salary inefficiency is maybe fifteen hundred dollars in salary or something, where the odds are off enough, I guess. So like, it's it's a sport where like the salaries and the performance are very much much more correlated, which means even the worst players, like as long as they're using all of their salary, are typically going to have decent enough line like. Lineups that are maybe at worst slightly break even to the rake, like at like at worst. But in NBA, dude, in in, in 
NBA on certain slates. It's like, oh, I'm just going to spend all my salary, but not on like, like other lineups could have like legitimately a $10,000 salary advantage from a, from a, from a salary adjusted value standpoint, because yeah, yeah. You're using all your salary, using 50 K to play Steph Curry and, and, and Aaron Gordon and whoever, but it's like, but you're not playing like the $3,800 guy that's projected for a million and you're not playing the $5,700 guy that should be 9,000 that's projected for a million. Like, yeah, you're using all your salary, but it's, you're overpaying for a lot of stuff compared to what's available that your lineup now projects like 38 points below others lineups and an NBA normal distrib- with normal distributions. Like your lineup is, is your lineup is pretty garbage. Speaking specifically to PGA and like the inefficiencies, I run a, a table over at Pater where I compare the Vegas salary and the odds against their prices. Right. And for, for RBC heritage, the largest discrepancy between top five odds and their salary was JJ Spawn, and he was only eighteen percent under, like, at like basically nothing. And and, and the worst was eighty five was fifteen percent over. So we're we're talking like a margin of less than twenty percent based on salary against the uh, against their Vegas odds for for any placing contest. So PGA exceptionally difficult to uh to to build plus ev lineups based on the way that the pricing structure works so i really do think that this i i understand why he did not do it as a sports specific question because it would had that the externalities are just annoying but like this this really does need like what sport are we talking about because pga yeah i think 67 percent. that's why i said 50 to 67 percent, including all sports but if you'd have asked me nba i'd have said probably 90 plus percent you think there is enough worse lineups in NBA to even cover like everyone, every one of the lineups to be like enough over the rake? Pretty close. Interesting. I, I mean, I the the questions that I will get in my Discord about NBA make me think that. And I, I have like I have like quite a few smart people and I have a small community. So for me to get some questions of people asking me like, oh, should I play like this 2v2 versus this 2v2? And for me to not just say you shouldn't even be playing NBA if you're asking that question. Like, I, I think there are really bad lineups. And and the, the, the kicker there for NBA is I think that NBA has the largest difference between skill disparity, where I think that the best players in NBA just crush, and I think that the worst players are like literally do not lost cause. Like NBA to me, NBA DFS is if if you're not if you're not if basically if you're not willing to use projections in NBA, like I you you've got you've got like no shot. Yeah, you're straight up shot. I I, I legitimately think that, and, and and I think. Most people, here's my hot take. I think most people would probably come way closer to being profitable players if they just never touched NBA. Just ever. Or fo- or or the opposite of focus completely on or NBA. only NBA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just right. just to take take the petty theft route and just like go ham in NBA. I, I mean, Levitan, like he only plays NFL because that's where his edge is, right? Like he'll play some sports on and off, but like he's he makes all his money in NFL playing head to heads against bros that watch his shows and like give him money. So like, I I think that most people and that that's a conversation for another day, but if most people didn't play NBA, they'd be better DFS players. 
so Nelson ran his Sims and uh, his response is that, okay. So like he basically said that uh, he said a few thoughts. I may not have worded this the best, but the intention was a good DFS player builds lineups at lock. What percentage of those lineups are plus EV? I meant ownership for all players was available at lock. Not no, not that it was known while building, right? Which, which is what I assumed anyway. Uh, now, I'll also preface this by saying my experiences in golf, where simulating DFS contests is orders of magnitude simpler than the other major sports like NFL, NBA, MLB, due to correlation. I've been tracking results since the fall for the main GPP on every golf showdown slate. For each contest, I record the actual result, along with my simulator results for every entry. At this point, close to 250 slates, 769,000 entries, and just under $15 million worth of entry feeds. Each slate, I group the lineups into 20 groups, based on their expected winnings. To me, it seems like my simulated results are a decent barometer for the actual results, and I just wanted to give some background of where I'm deriving the data. My data would indicate that about 50% of the lineups the, of the best, quote-unquote, PGA DFS players submit every slate to be plus EV. For expected break-even players, this number is closer to about 40%. For someone who is just losing to the rake, Minus 15% expected ROI, it's about 25%. Right. If you if you were, this is this is this is the age-old question, right? The age-old awful take, the 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 worst take in DFS, right? By people that don't understand. If I would have had 150 lineups, I'd win every I'd win all the time or whatever. Like, dude, like if in golf, based on his simulations, the best players submit 150 lineups and 75 end up not even being positive EV. Right. Like, right. That's the best players. The the players that are the worst, like what? 20, 25 of their lineups are plus EV and 125 aren't right. That's the, that's the, that's the differentiator. It's not that like, feel free to build 150 lineups and try to build more than 75 lineups that are plus EV. Right. Like try just try to do that. And it's like if you can, then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do well. If you can't, you're just gonna lose you're gonna lose more money over time. I mean, you just hemorrhage money. Do all 150 of your lineups have to be plus EV? Not necessarily. If if you're if you could build 10 really e plus EV lineups, it would balance out like other lineups that are just like minus two percent, minus three percent, minus one percent, minus like like that's also not what it's taking into consideration. It's just we're looking at individual lineups, the EV of individual lineups. And also realize that when you build a portfolio, you are not just competing your individual lineup against the field, but you're also the field is your other lineups as well. Mm-hmm. You cannot if your first if your first lineup wins first place, your second lineup can't win first place. That equity is gone. Your third lineup can't win second place. Your fourth lineup can't win third place. Like so once you get down to building 150 lineups, you're actually the the EV of the lineups that you're now building are highly dependent on the EV of the lineups that you've already built. Right. Which means in as a whole, the average EV of your lineup has to be higher the more and more lineups that you play. If it's not, all you're going to be doing is building worse and worse lineups and losing more and more money. That's why you play 150 lineups in these contests, especially with top-heavy payout structures. Mm -hmm. Like, 
the skill in doing that is much higher than doing single entry, you know, me playing the 121. If, right? if you can't build the best projected lineup, like the like the top in terms of EV, mm. then your 150 set is probably negative EV. Because of how many lineups you just built out, that like the farther that you get away from that top one, the worse the lineups are in terms of EV, you might be shooting yourself in the foot instantly. Like say, let, let's keep it in the PGA example. Say uh, John Rahm projects for 107 fantasy points or something. And then like the next top guy, Scotty Scheffler, projects for like 92. All right. If you cut off John Rahm from your projection run, your entire portfolio might be negative EV. Like overall, J- just by doing that. Uh, and like that's an extreme. I mean, it's just, I think a better example is an NBA we get Tyus Jones at at, at negative three right. k, and yeah. he projects for seventy or whatever the hell it you know like something. And you go, I'm just going to x this guy out. It's like, well, yeah. good luck. Your well, entire yeah, portfolio now, is now negative EV. You you have right. not built now, a now, single lineup. But the thing is, James, in that case, let's uh, well, you're going to use the Tyus Jones four k projects for fifty point. You know, whatever. You know that that situation that happens in NBA. Can you build a plus EV lineup without Tyus Jones? The answer is yes. Of course, to realize that EV, it doesn't happen that all. Like it's right. it loses ninety nine percent of the time, and then one time when Tyus Jones gets gets injured in the first quarter, mm-hmm. you have the leverage because he's ninety nine percent owned, and you're the only one that doesn't have an injured player in your line, and then it wins a hundred thousand dollars. So like like it could be, and that's that why that lineup has a, is a dollar and four cent, you know, right. four cents of EV with one lineup. With one lineup, but once you start adding more non-Tyus Jones lineups, like, dude, you need you need that thing to happen, and then you need to happen often enough to make up for the fact that you've paid 150 times for that result, not just one time for that right. result. And because of how bad that top lineup without Tyus Jones is, it might be plus EV by itself. You might get four cents on the dollar by itself. But the lineups with Tyus Jones are already getting seven cents on the dollar, eight cents on the dollar, nine cents on the dollar, right? You're already underneath those. So then as soon as you keep building those out, like your next one might only get two cents on the dollar and then one cent. And then you're straight up in the negative EV. Like you have literally 140 more lineups that are negative EV because of this. And, and they're competing against each other on top. Right. And you're just shot. You're just shot. But as a side, God, I hate NBA. <laughs> we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Going through the YouTube chat, uh, Daniel Hutchins says, interestingly, leave my Sims like this on any particular slate. I will find a few players with 90 plus percent. And he says, I'm usually not one of them <laughs> for what it's worth. But I guess that is just slate to slate variance. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. You can't just judge on just a one slate sample size. That's why he like, oh, well, there's out of 150 lineups. This guy built 90 plus percent that ended up being, you know, we're plus EV. It's like, I don't think you see that. If you'd like, okay, let's, let's look at a hundred slates and go, Mm -hmm. is that user doing like, like you're not going to just going to find some outlier examples. And I'll think, I think a lot of that is due to ownership. I mean, a lot, it really depends if you're playing exploitatively or not. If you're just playing like a very heavy projections base, I'm just going to build the best lineups projection about 150 of them. I think the likelihood of you building uh, plus ROI lineups is higher, but the average ROI of your lineup will be lower, right? right? Like you're more likely to build 150 lineups that seven cents on the dollar, nine cents on the dollar, like a lot of that but you're not going to have ones that like 30 cents on the dollar because those are the lineups where it's like, Oh, this guy is, you know, this pitcher is 4% owned and he should be 10% owned and you're playing them. And this pitcher is 18%. They should be 26% owned. Like you're, you're using leverage dynamics to build more lineups. But of course, if you're building leverage dynamics and you're getting it wrong, all of a sudden, your lineups turn into negative EV lineups, right? You're, oh, I'm, this 4% owned pitcher should be 10% owned. So I'm going to play him because I'm getting more fantasy points than I should in his range of outcomes and for his ownership. And then you then lock hits and he's 16% owned. And you're shot. Like, and it's like, oh, oh those those lineups have have went from like, like 10 cents on the dollar EV to now, now negative 3 cents, right? Because yeah. it's like, okay, now, now your lineup is too chalky, right? You didn't, it's not leveraged properly. So, like, you're going to build 150 lineups like that. If you're going to get ownership wrong, it's quite possible that you show up and I mean, there, there of your lineups are, neg- are, 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 are not are not are not plus EV. They may, just on, just to be clear, it doesn't mean that those lineups are like losing three times the rate. Right. 
It doesn't mean they're losing two times. I mean, there's still enough bad lineups that like your rake is probably get already getting covered by the worst of the worst lineups. Mm -hmm. But now you're now you're just like bleeding money to the, like these are the lineups where like a hundred of your lineups may be just bleeding money to the rake. Like it's like ninety eight cents, right? Minus two cents. But like you're you're if it wasn't for the rake, these these actually would be profitable lineups. But they're not they're oh, not yeah. anymore, right? And you may have some that are over the line, and those are those are the slates where uh, you hope to just run good and do better the next time. Sun run, baby. Sun run. No, I, there, there's situations um, when it comes to ownership and predicting ownership. I think it was uh, one of the first times that I tried to project MMA. Um, and I there, there was some guy that got steamed up a whole lot. And I had him projected for like 15%. And he looked like the best play on the slate. And then Locke comes in and he's like 36%. Because I was bad at it at first, right? And I just looked at it and I just, I looked at my phone. I looked at my portfolio. I was like, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's very bad. Right. These lineups suck now, right? Like, like this is really, really bad. Um, I did the same thing with uh, who was it? It was a showdown slate where the the Washington Commanders were playing, and one of their tight ends was ruled out, and the second one, it hadn't been announced yet, but he was like, he was questionable, and the third string tight end had gotten more snaps than him the week before. Right, was it the John Bates slate? It was, it was the John Bates slate. Okay. And I was I was racking my brain over like, okay, well, this third string tight end, I have this lineup that's really good if he's 4% owned and really bad if he's 14% owned. <laughs> and he got, I, and I, I DM'd like six different people. I might have DM'd Hutchins about this and asked like dude what do you think he's going to be owned because like i'm not i'm not going to play this lineup if he's going to be 15 percent owned and he ended up being like six percent owned and it was great i did really good that showdown but those are the margins that we're talking about where i had a third string tight end in a showdown contest that if he's projected to be 15 percent owned i can't play that lineup anymore but if he's five percent owned then it's like the best lineup in my, in my set and that's how well, much I think that effect happens more on showdown with the lack of options. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Especially yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But Daniel says absolutely ownership is the master variable here in order to build almost all plus EV lineups in your set. You need to make excellent predictions about ownership. <laughs> well, maybe that's, that's my, that's my secret sauce. I've been right? saying, I, I've been saying that for what, two years now where I said that like the cost of the ownership of your lineup is as important as the cost of the salary of your ownership. Right. And I, and my, and my, and my, to me, I'm, I'm able to using blunt methodologies, be build as e plus EV lineups as a lot of the, you know, like nerdy tenor in there. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think sometimes I think Daniel's run like, Oh, I've, I've run the lineups that you played through whatever. And Oh, they're about it. They're the ROI is about the same as mine. It's like, yeah, but I'm not doing anything fancy or anything. It's just like, like oh well i'm just looking at this pitcher i'm looking at this running back and i'm like like yeah everyone thinks that guy's gonna be 10 percent owned he's gonna be 18 percent mm -hmm. right because like like dude every everyone wants to play rashad penny or something you know like something like like yeah. oh, oh miles sanders is the you know oh uh, yeah miles sanders at, at six percent it's like no he's not gonna be six percent like like because everyone is saying oh miles sanders, miles sanders 6%. at six percent right i mean like that type of stuff and then you then you take a look and you also do the things of like people that use projections 
mm-hmm. too heavily and they don't factor in ownership, it's like, yeah, this this $3,700 wide receiver, you know, Richie James is projected to be 12% owned. I think it's going to be more like 20 because yeah. like I'm running all these lineups through an optimizer. And like, if, if you don't purposely do something, you're going to get like 30% of this guy in like every lineup in like mm-hmm. so many lineups that you play based on the construction that there's no way this guy ends up being 12% owned. And he ends up coming in at like 18 to 20. Yeah. But what, what I do is I actually change the ownership from 12 to 18 to 20. I change Miles Sanders 6% ownership to 16% ownership. I got Josh Jacobs is projected to be 18% owned. And it's like, he's like the fourth best value running back on the slate. So it's not like he's bad projected, but he's, but he's not the best. And it's like, dude, no one likes playing Josh Jacobs. Right. right? So 18, like, yeah, the numbers from a projection standpoint say that he should be 18% on, but I think he's going to be more like, eight to 10. Yep. Right. And then he ends up coming in at like seven, 7% owned. And people are like, well, why didn't I play Josh Jacobs at seven? I would have played him at 7%. I just thought he would be 18 to 20. Yeah. Yeah. You have to kind of run lineups and also like look around and see what people are talking about mm-hmm. to know, especially in the contest that you're playing. Right. Yeah. The, the high stakes, smaller field contests are much sharper, yeah. much more projections driven and much, and people are much more aware of leverage. While in the Millie Maker, like dude, like, like I, I could, I could listen, I could listen to a, you know, a very popular podcast and go, yeah, w- this guy projects like as like the the ninth, like the ninth best wide receiver, mm-hmm. yet he's going to be like sixteen percent owned for like no reason, yeah. like he's just going to be. People are going to look at his ceiling and go, yeah, I'd play this guy at like six percent owned, and I go, no, 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 that's like. They see the matchup. It's like it's the Cardinals versus tight ends. It's some like it's like oh, it's the run defense of this team. And next thing you know, that guy's twenty percent owned. Like you have to like literally change the like don't run your lineups until you change the ownership. So to me, that to me, that's the secret sauce of mine of how I build higher plus more plus EV lineups in my set than anything. But I'm also subject to tons of slates. Right. Where lock hits and I'm wrong. And, and you look at it and you're like, well, close the laptop. Right, right. Well, right. not close the laptop. I just hope I no, run but, good. Hope I, right. hope I run way above expectation. Here's, but, that's here's, the, but that's the caveat to that approach of that. I'm hoping that I'm more I'm consistent. I'm more consistently right. Mm-hmm. And that the times that I am right, I'm so right in comparison to the field that it makes up for the times that I'm wrong. Right. Right. It makes and, up for the times that I'm in NBA. I'm like, like, yeah, I played Jared Allen at, at what I thought was going to be 4% ownership, and he ends up being 22% owned. And I'm like, I didn't even – like, how did that even happen? Did I right. miss a projection set? Something like, like, dude, I played like 70% of a guy that is now like wildly over-owned mm-hmm. at center, and it seemed like everyone else wanted to play those types of lineups also, and now we're all screwed. Yeah. Here's, here's two pro tips. One, always consider ownership relative to the field size. Most ownership projections are ran on large field stuff. So if you are not at a site that can like put them together in a more appropriate way for the contest size, make sure that you're being uh, reticent of that. And the second thing, the thing that I don't think enough people do, before you even start building your lineups, go run 150 lineups over at Lineup HQ, here at Roto Grinders, there's code below, 
or any, whatever optimizer you use, go run 150 lineups and go see what the percentages are of the players that are in those lineups. Because what you'll find is just like Blunder said, a $3,700 wide receiver that is projected to be 7% owned might end up in 95% of the lineups that you run out of 150. And then you're looking at it, you're like, I don't think that he's going to be 6% owned. I'm pretty sure he's going to be more than 6% owned if he's showing up in 95% of my lineups right now. So those two just very, very easy things to help you get a better grasp of ownership and get a better understanding of where the leverage can come in. The other benefit of running 150 lineups and just like looking at them is that you can see kind of like the general way of roster construction based on the popular players. We talk about that all the time. Um, there are two different ways to build in leverage in your lineups, direct and indirect. And if you want to do direct leverage, run the optimal, find the weakest link and just swap him out for somebody else. Like that's very easy to do for a GPP lineup. So there's just, there's a lot of different ways to like manipulate the way and, and glean information from 150 sets that you don't even have to use. It just helps you get a better understanding of how people are building and why chalk is going to be heavier or lighter based on the contest that you're in. Right. And my, and my attitude with, but when you build a portfolio, right, you're trying to build individual plus EV lineups. And then how many of one do you have over the other is all a byproduct of your own personal risk profile, whatever risk profile you would like to have in your portfolio. So there way you may find in certain cases, where there may be a player or two, there may be a stack or two, they may be a pitcher, they may be a whatever, a fighter that is like, if this, if this, if this fighter is like gonna only be 12% owned, I think that's the I think they should be 30, right? Which is massive, right? If you if you think that it should be 30 and they're gonna be 12, you may go, the edge, there's so much edge here in that. Maybe you lock you could lock them into all 150 lines. Mm-hmm. Just realize that to realize the EV, it's like if that fighter loses, like the variance of your portfolio will be massive, mm-hmm. right? If you say, well, I'm going to build 50, I'm going to build 75 out of my 150 with that fighter and have 50% of the fighter, right? I'm going to be over the field, right? These things that don't really matter. All you're saying is that your risk point is like, I'm going to build a 75 really high plus EV lineups, but I'm going to build 75 others that may be plus EV individually, not they're not going to be anywhere close to the EV of the 75 other lineups, but they're the make it so that my portfolio, the variance of my portfolio has now gone down. Right. So it's like, okay, I'm pushing my edge very hard on a large portion of my lineups, but I got a backup plan. Right. So I don't go negative, a negative 90% on the slate. Now you're more likely to build diverse when you're playing more of your bankroll. Mm-hmm. When you're playing less of your bank, less of your bankroll, 0.1%. Now, if you want to just lock button people in and stuff like that and just really push your edges, your risk of ruin is not going to be nearly as low. If you're playing 10% of your bankroll and locking people in, like I think uh, we're not going to see you much in contests after, you know, by the end of the year, we're not going to see you much anymore because it's almost, that's unsustainable. But what, what, what your diversity of your portfolio set doesn't matter. Like it does from a mathematical standpoint, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Some people, cho- some people choose to like, I'm going to push edges. Some people choose. I'm going to build the best 30 lineups. I'm going to build the best one line. I mean, whatever, 
You want to do it in MMA. In MMA, for instance, I push my edges much higher than some other multi-enterers. Because I don't play 150 max. Like this past late, I played 100 lineups. And it's like, if I see a fighter that like is vastly under-owned or vastly over-owned, I have no problem. Like if a, if a fighter is, you know, like Max Holloway, I think this past slate was like, like 45% owned. I only had like 20% of my lineups with him. Right. Cause I thought it was over-owned like Aaron Phillips who lost. He was like 12% owned. Denise Gomez was, uh, was like 13% owned. I had them both drastically under-owned. Well, I was playing like 30% of each. Right. Cause I'm pushing. Cause then there's not many, the, the, there's not many options, right? So in MMA, I try to push my my edges. On a baseball slate, there's so many more slates and so many more options that the edges can't be that dramatic. That's like, well, Rob, 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 Acuna is only 4% owned and he should be 8%. Well, so should I play 150 lineups and just that, right? You're not going to get that dramatic shift right there. So I tend to play a much more conservative risk profile when I play multiple lineups of like, nope, I'm going to play one of this stack, one of that stack, one of this pitcher. I'm a little bit more likely that. But individually, if you took the individual lineups and then ran it against the, the field, my lineups individual would be plus EV, but I can't, if I played five lineups that are not, are, are independent of one another, like, yeah, when one lineup wins, like two of the lineups are like almost guaranteed to lose. Mm-hmm. Right, because like I have no one from these 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 two lineups from those two lineups. So if like if the Braves go off and Sonny Gray goes off, like these two lineups are dead based on the ownership of these players in these lineups. Like like it just that's the way it works. That's why building 150 lineups and being profitable is is insanely difficult. I mean, insane. Like like, dude, that's why I don't do it because it's so difficult. And it's so, it's the risk on it is so high that to me, it's better off to play 50 lineups and just make, I, I build 50 lineups that are, have high EV against the field and not vulture each other's EV as much as a 150 set. I could do much more, especially leveraging ownership. I'm much more likely to do that with 20 lineups, 40 lineups, 50 lineups, 10 lineups, five, like, that's where you should be starting from, really. That's why when people come and say, like, can you help me build my 150 set? And I can tell from the questions, it's like, I'm not even sure if you're, I'm not, can you build one, right? right? Can you build five? Can you build 10? Like, you're still at the level of thinking that, you know, it's just, a, what what settings do I put in lineup HQ? And that just, just oh, there's, I, I'm going to be profitable. Like, dude, like, I would say 99% of people that, that do that are, they need to run good and hopefully run good early before they go broke. Like it's just extremely hard to do. Yeah. I, I would almost go as far as say, uh, if somebody is asking you how to build 150, like to help them with 150 lineups that they shouldn't even be building 150 lineups, like point blank period. If, if you're, if you're trying to ask somebody else what their settings are, you should, I mean, build one lineup, dude. Like, don't, don't be trying to max enter anything. 
Ryan Reyes says, I have way more success with MLB than I do with NBA, and it feels like it's simply because of variance and higher levels of randomness. Exploitative play. NBA feels like doing that hurts you way more. That would be correct. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. NBA. I mean, it's more, it's more in the – I mean, we, we, we've we talked about it multiple times about how the distribution of player outcomes from mm-hmm. sport to sport determines how you should handle that projection lever – and NBA is the out of all the sports you could play in in DFS, is the most normally distributed player mm-hmm. outcomes, which means you're more likely to play lineups that have higher median projections in general because no single events can like could enter, you know, baseball. Like, dude, you can play lineups that are forty points lower projected, and still have a shot. Yeah. Right. In NBA, 40 points lower projected. It's like seeding. It's like you have one less roster spot. And like, okay, you have one less roster spot and you need like your shooting guard of 6,800 to now put up 85 points. Yeah. To make that like, like, well, well, maybe you can hit a 30 point shot. It's like, there's no such thing as a, like in baseball, there's such a thing as that. Right. And in, in football, right. Someone could, oh, play one snap. And catches a 50-yard touchdown, right? Yeah. Ends up with what? 11 points, 12 points for 3K? Like, that's possible. The 3K player in NBA that plays four minutes, like. I mean, unless it, unless it's Boban Marjanovic. In which case, he might legitimately get 12 fantasy points in three minutes. But you're still shot with him. Right. You're, still, you're still shot. I And NBA... Hutchins, play the best plays is not a terrible strategy for NBA. Not great, but not terrible. I mean, okay, look, play the best plays does not just mean play only the plays that like are cash game viable, right? Like you still shouldn't play a cash game lineup in NBA, but when the best play, let, let's consider, let's consider that if you are using the term best plays, you're considering a player that is well underpriced for their expected production based on the players relative to their, to their price tag, right? Like there are this last season, I have never seen more players significantly underpriced based on their price relative to the production of those around them. I have never seen an NBA season where you could legitimately have a player pool of 50 players and like, all of them are five points over what their relative value should be. Right. Like, you get you get a lot, you get a lot of slates where that thirty eight hundred dollar player, it's like, oh, we got the free square. It's like, dude, there's like 14 of them. This right. Time. No, I mean it's a matter of which which ones do you put together? Like your thirty eight hundred dollar projected player at 30 fantasy points is the seventh worst play at thirty eight hundred dollars. <laughs> it doesn't like the, there was I'm still tilted about NBA and like we're in the postseason. There were slates where I would look at the amount of value and the amount of good plays in an NBA slate and think to myself, anybody playing one lineup is screwed. Like you, you, well, I mean, you could play one. I mean, one no, lineup sure. has a plus. You, TV, you could but play I mean, one lineup. Yeah, but, but good luck. Did, like, yeah, you could choose like one of like 700 lineups that all project for about the same. It was legitimately, you would have as much success on that slate if you randomly created a lineup out of the 70 players that were good this was like this is like a 13 game nba slate you could legitimately at random 
put together a lineup out of those 70 players and you're fine. There, there it's, was one, it's one of those slates that when you run lineup HQ and you go, I'm not going to have any settings or anything like that. Just give me 300 lineups. Like the best, give me the highest projected 300 lineups and you'd run the 300 lineups and the top optimal, the top one would be like 308 and the 300th one would be like 306.8. Yeah. So it's like there's a 1.2 point difference between 300 lineups, which is like barely anything. And it's like, like, dude. Uh, you, you almost don't want to play cash games in those slates because no. it's like, dude, you could be up against any. I mean, like, dude, there's eight. Here's 300 possible cash lineups. And uh, let's say I ran 3,000 lineups. The 3,000th lineup may only be three points, four points lower projected than the first lineup. It's right. so bad, dude. It's so bad. I And and like. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you, if you're playing in contests, James, we talked about before, download the CSV. You'll find that 20, 25% of lineups in these contests you look at and you go, there were like seven value plays on the slate and you have, you should have played three of three, just play three out of the seven and then play the studs and you're fine. And then you look and it's like, oh, this lineup has like, like none of the value plays. Yeah. And here's one that helps one. Like, like you like, ran, what are you doing? You're giving up like 40 points in projection for no reason. You ran 300 lineups. And the 300th is 1.8 points lower projection than the optimal. And you look at lineups at the bottom of the CSV, and they're projected like 30 points lower than optimal. And you're just looking at it like, how did you build that? How, I, even if you built a lineup that was like five points below the optimal, it's like, okay. You you wanted to fade Tyus Jones, right? You got you got different, and, and that's still probably okay. And that lineup, depending on the, the largest field contest, is pro- like if you built right. one lineup and you built that one and you throw it in large field, okay, do your thing. But there are people that legitimately like don't play NBA. <laughs> like you shouldn't play NBA if if you if you build that way. Just man. I could I could do an entire podcast just talking about how bad NBA is and how bad FanDuel is. I could, like I would never run out of material. MJC says uh, MLB is great because the process is so clear as what you need to do. NBA is still somewhat up in the air in terms of construction with less correlation. Uh, okay, so no, I think it's backwards. I think right. That, I, I was just going to say I think actually it's the reverse. I think that it is the reverse. I think that NBA is so clear in the way that it's built that you have if if you are not a really good NBA player, you have no edge. Whereas with MLB, I think that the process is not clear because there are ways like you can see when when I run things and and MJC, I know that I see you in the Pedro Discord all the time. I know that you have a sub like you can see that maybe this team has like a 32% chance scoring eight plus runs. And then this, and they're projected to have like 107% aggregate ownership. And then the team directly below them has a 29% chance at scoring eight plus, And they have like 45% aggregate ownership. And like the, the directive there is not clear because you need to pair that with pitchers and you need to average out your, your leverage. Like you need to look at those kind of things and it's not straightforward, but with NBA, like the, you can look at the top 20 players in any projection set. It, it like sort it by value, any projection set, look at the top 20 players and you can build a lineup from that. 
Right. He's no, in, in NBA, I could in NBA, given this is not con, not considering late swap, not considering, you know, any, no, anything lock. like that. Right. We're just, if we have all the information at once, like NBA, I could just cover up the player. I could pretty much cover up because the lack of correlation, like a very limited, minimal correlation mm-hmm. in NBA is like all you have to do is say like, OK, build. I want lineups with this projection and this ownership. And like, that's it. Like, what's what's the top lineup? Well, 284 at at 182. It's like, okay, well, I want like uh I'm gonna give up five points in projection and have lineups that are owned at like 130. Yep. And it's like, and then give me like a hundred of those. And you can just play those. Like you and literally I play those, right. Like I don't even have to like 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 well, are they on the same team? Are they on the like dude? I like I could probably just play just look at those numbers and I could play at lineups of some range. MLB, it's less because you have to add the correlation into it and there's more direct leverage available. Mm-hmm. And like and in in MLB, I think the line of construction her heuristic is easier. I agree with that. Right. Just like, okay, I'm gonna stack five guys from a team. Right? I'm gonna when 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 necessary, when uh when all things being equal, correlate and then run lineups and uh be more likely to play stacks that are under-owned than over-owned, but you play them with, with the over-owned pitch. I mean, like, like that's what I mean. It's not as simple as just like, well, what pitches do I play and what stacks do I play and what one-offs right. do I play? It's like, well, how do you construct them together yeah. in one lineup where you could still have over-owned players in a lineup with an under-owned stack yeah. because they project for more raw points at pitcher versus batter. And then once you get to that level, there's 7,000 lineups to choose from. I mean, like, like that. that's why I mean, like, the process isn't as, it isn't as clear. And you get to the point in which, like, well, I could choose between one of, like, 15,000 lineups to play on this slate. And they all, from an EV standpoint, are probably close to each other. Right. And as long as I don't build the bad lineups, like, I should be fine. And then you get to that point and you go, well, well, then how do I determine which ones to play? It's like, you could randomly, dude... You're not going to do anything d- different mathematically than randomly choosing. So whatever way you want to do it doesn't matter. It, it, it really doesn't matter. Do it based on if you're building multiple lineups of what your risk profile is, right? It's like, well, should I play DeGrom or should I play this in this lineup? It's like whatever you feel comfortable with. You have you have a candidate set of thousands of lineups to choose from. Right. Choose what it, to me, that's not as clear. That's that doesn't that sounds like like oh well, that's clear just randomly pick lineups like that most people don't view that as viewing that as clear use it right if you just told someone like well i'm playing three lineups and now i have 6000 lineups that are all about the same to choose from well how do i choose the three and when you tell them like randomly choose the three they their head blows up you know <laughs> how is that how is that clear it's like well mathematically it's clear but in nba it's much easier like in NBA, it's much easier to look at a lineup and go, like, that's obviously something that you do not play. Right. Right. Like yep. in NBA, in, in NBA, it's so like it's like, oh, this well, this lineup it has uh has uh has seven two percent on players and projects for 58 points below the optimal lineup. And I go, Yes, that's a lineup that you do not play. <laughs> like like that's very easy, very, very yeah. easy, right? And then you look at the top lineup and you go, Oh, well, I'm playing like uh I'm playing four guys that are uh, 56% owned or more in the same lineup. And with the, the my highest owned player is 18%. They go, well, that's a lineup that you also do not play, right? 
that's a lineup that's probably going to be duped 14 times right in your gpp on a 10 game nba slate so probably probably don't play that lineup either this is this has been a good episode i've enjoyed this hit that thumbs up button if you enjoy this free content right this is stuff that you could get we we talk about all these subjects in the theory of daily fantasy sports Get the first course, how to think like a professional DFS player. The second one, how to apply profitable DFS strategies for advanced players, which includes the custom Excel tools. I see someone had a question, Richmond TX, about the lineup optimizer. Just email email James, james at theoryofdfs.com for all your, your technical questions with the Excel tools. And you can email in your questions, your DFS strategy questions, anything to me. We covered that on the show. Like you email me, I cover it on the show. And I'll, I'll always... Like, I'll always email you back saying, yeah, we covered it on the show today. Like, it may, it may not be immediate, right? Because I, I let questions stockpile. And I go through the questions one by one. Sometimes we, we repeat ourselves, right? The stuff that we talked about three months ago that we'll talk about again, right? This is unstructured learning. If you want the structured stuff, 21 hours of audio. You go through all 21 hours of audio. There's, I, don't, I don't know what else I could teach you, right? So just go to theoryofdfs.com. Buy both courses, buy the Excel tools. You had like, that's, you, you, you got like, that's, that's it. You, you do that in a Roto-Grinder subscription, right? So you get projections and ownership and a lineup builder. Like you're me now. You're just, that's, that's me. That's, that is other than my, my secret sauce of being able to uh, understand how other human beings are going to build their lineups suboptimally and then taking advantage of them, right? right? By changing the ownership, right? Which, which I, which I do every day. Right, even in MLB, like I'll especially the pitcher ownership. So I'll look and I go, this guy, this guy's should fifty six percent owned. It's like I'm playing the one twenty one. Nah, he's gonna be seventy eight percent owned. Yep. Right, but I change it for the one the one twenty one type of stuff because that's what I focus on. So like, and then this guy, oh, six percent owned. Like no, two percent owned because it's the one twenty one. So the you know that the 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 barbell approach to Ownership happens in those types of contests. And I adjust it. And then I build my lineups. And sometimes, even then, my lineup in the 121 is like, wow, you played kind of like the chalk pitcher and the chalk stack. I'm like, yeah, because they were still under-owned at like 28% owned, right? Like they were still under, like sometimes that happens, right? Especially like the core slates where one team has a has a total that's like 700 more than another all the other teams. So yeah, so you learn all that stuff in the theory of DFS. Uh, James Aguirre said, I thought I was good at math until I started listening to Jordan. Uh, you don't have to be that good at math. James, is anything that here that you have to be that good at doing like, oh, I need to plug this formula in type of math. It's more of a, of a conceptual thinking thought process than, than learning like, <clears throat> like math problems. No, I, I do think you have to be good at math. I think the, I think that you have you do not have to be good at the formulas of math, but you do have to be good at the concepts of math and like the the ideologies of math, because you do have to have a, a good understanding of expected value and distributions and probabilities and stuff like that. So you don't, I, I, to, maybe, you don't necessarily need to know way, the exact stuff. The exact maybe stuff. the better way of saying this is you have to be good at statistics, which I'm not even really sure is math. Well, it involves numbers. A lot of people that aren't good at math today, I'm not good at numbers. Yeah, well, I dropped out of statistics in high school, so but I was great at math. So, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. 
I was great at math at, at school also. And then once calculus came around, I said, okay, I'm done with math. I I finished all of the college courses that I could possibly take in high school, like that they offered. And then I was forced to take a math class my senior year, which happened to be statistics, dropped out, hated it. And here I am. <laughs> here you are doing <laughs> statistics, right? Every day. Right. Now, uh, in calculus, when, once you get to calculus, it's like, oh, everything you learned about math, oh, they, they lied nope. to you. Out the window. Yeah. They lied to you. They lied. They, everything they, that they told no, you. No, 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 no. They did not lie to you because saying that they lied to you would imply that everything that we teach people about building a strong portfolio means that we lied to them about everything before building the portfolio. Oh. It's just application. It, like, it's just background. Right. Well, once you get to calculus, you're like, oh, this is real math. Oh, this is how yeah, real math Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Right. yeah this is how, and then once you're like, oh, but well, this is how real math works. Well, I don't like real math. Anymore. Yeah, no. I like arithmetic. <laughs> right. I like I like algebra. I like trigonometry. Like yeah. calculus? Get the hell out of here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. So uh, hit that thumbs up button on your way out the bar. Smash the like button. Smash the subscribe button. Smash that notification bell. We got Grinders Live later today. We got tons of stuff here at Roto Grinders. Scores and odds channel. Go over there for all your uh, betting needs. So subscribe to that channel. Grant's probably there giving out the trade. Grant's, Grant's a dad now, James. Can you believe I know. that? I saw. I did. I'm excited for him. It's they let anyone be a dad these days. They let anyone. No, <laughs> he's, 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 really, allow he's really good with kids, man. He's he's <laughs> awesome. He's going to be a great dad. Oh, he's going to, he's going to, dude, it's going to be fast food and it's, it, dude. <laughs> Dude, but by, by the time his kid is 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 old enough to to open up a sportsbook account or something like that, like it's just gonna be it's gonna be non it's gonna be nonstop. And like he's gonna he may end up being the greatest gambler of all time. Right? Yeah, no, he's gonna be limited as soon as he opens up the account. Right, he's gonna be limited. To, right. Well, that, that's what I mean. That's his joke on Twitter, right? Yeah, no. Born yeah. on this day, two days later, limited. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okie doke, uh, James. You can be found paydirtdfs.com. BaderDFS.com. I have a whole bunch of really cool stuff for baseball over there. Like I said yesterday in some promotional tweets, I love the baseball models over there. Um, but you can also find me on Twitter at Pater underscore DFS. Okie doke. So submit your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. We'll be continuing going. I, I just answer your questions. That's what I do on this show, right? I come around 11 o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday, answering your DFS strategy questions on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.